Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Well, we had an IPO this morning. F45 Training Holdings, a fitness company, uh, went public uh, at $16 a share. Uh, has not opened for trading. Bid bid is uh, 18 ask is 19 so looking to open up here on the first trade. Adam Gilchrist, he's a co-founder and CEO of F45 Training. Uh, he joins us now. Adam, thanks so much for joining us. I know you're having a busy day here watching to see when your stock opens. Love for you to give us the kind of the 30-second view of F45 training. What's the story? Oh, well, <clears throat> firstly, thanks very much for having me on your program. Um, obviously, a very exciting day. And uh, look, F45 is, you know, I, I think a, an incredible business because we tried to answer a really simple question, which was, you know, how do we get people to fall back in love with the gym? And really, F45 is a 45-minute workout. Uh, we do it in classes of 27 up to 36 people. A typical franchisee, you know, has, you know, on average 200 members and we charge our members somewhere between, you know, $50 and $60 a week. So we're, we're, we're a premium brand um, and it was built on three key pillars. Number one uh, was innovation where we have 6,000 exercises in our exercise encyclopedia. So every day you turn up, it's a different workout. Um, number two is motivation, like training in teams is just so much more enjoyable being, you know, in a community versus, you know, sitting at home, you know, running on a treadmill or going for a run around a park by yourself. And the third key pillar was, you know, what we describe as simply as results. And results for us mm. is via this simple modality of high intensity interval training. So the workouts being 45 minutes, you know, change each day, but it's it's often like 40 seconds of work, 20 seconds of rest, and um, you can really get some effective results in a, in a short period of time. So, look, we're, we're a great, it's a great business uh, because we change so many lives. People love coming to F45 and we've really achieved, you know, I'll wrap it up, one, one major milestone is, you know, having more visitations with our members than any other gym in the world. So they turn up on average 2.7 times per week. I want to quickly just get to the market dynamics of what we're seeing. Notable, of course, actor Mark Wahlberg is an investor, franchise men, uh, member of the board. A year ago in June 2020, you tried to go public via a SPAC with Crescent Acquisition Corps. Today, of course, trying to just take the traditional IPO route. Why this? Why the switch? Uh, well, we, we ran a, a dual process and we had a better um, mm -hmm. structure that we, we accepted. And uh, we believe that a, a traditional IPO would be, you know, position the business um, for more success. And, you know, we're, we're, we're really pleased with where we're at at the moment. And, you know, we're really excited to hopefully watch the, uh, the first trade come through in the next half an hour. Hey, Adam, you know, um, I'm here with Taylor Riggs, and she's one of those crazy, nutty people that runs marathons all over the world. I, I just can't relate at all. I did, in fact, during the pandemic, actually start getting on a Peloton, so at least I'm getting some exercise. Talk to us about how your business has been impacted by this worldwide pandemic. Well, of course, it was an extremely challenging year last year. And, you know, at, at one period of time, we had 100% of our franchisees closed. Um, what we have noticed, however, 
is the fact that you know people want to get back into the gym, but more importantly, people want to be part of communities. People don't want to sit at home on a bike. They don't want to sit at home and do Zoom dinner parties when restaurants are reopened. I ask that question all the time. You know, when was the last time you had a Zoom dinner party if restaurants have reopened? And what we're finding now is our our cohorts that are two months reopened are performing better with visitation than they were pre-COVID. So what that says to us is the fact that we're going to bounce back far stronger than what we were pre-COVID. And look, we think the most important thing in, in, in life is obviously, number one, your family. But you know, number two should really be your health. And if you look at the importance of health, you know, we, we're talking about you know, 40% of Americans this year will die of heart disease. 30% will die of cancer and 30% of other things. But 40% of that heart disease, you know, we, we look at that and we say, we can address that. We can change people's lives. We can have, you know, what we describe as preventative health. So really, you know, we think this pandemic has been extremely challenging. We applaud our franchisees for pushing through it. We are the, we're going to have the lowest rate of closures in the world with less than 1% of our studios not reopening in comparison to the rest of the industry, which is at currently 25%. And that's really sad to see so many great, you know, young entrepreneurs and business owners go broke. So we hate seeing the industry, you know, contract, but we will see some major beneficiaries. F45 is one of them. Um, Mm -hmm. Planet is another. And we were really fortunate a few months ago that Entrepreneur Magazine ranked us in front of Planet as the world's fastest growing fitness franchisor. So when we sprinted past Planet, you know, that's one of the two milestones I said. Obviously, I wanted to be a faster growing company than Planet. And the next one for us is going to be our earnings. So when we go past them in earnings, Mm -hmm. that'll be the next sort of goal that I've got for uh, for the head office here. On that note, of course, you're pricing uh, the shares at $16 a piece right now, indicated to open anywhere between $17.50 to $18.50 a share. What are you doing with the proceeds? Um, the first thing we're doing, I mean, we've been a very fiscally conservative company since 2013. In fact, there's no other company that's uh, sold more franchises than us. Uh, and, and look, we're, we're excited because we've never had an unprofitable quarter. And that fiscally conservative approach has now been applied to the capital raising where we're, number one, paying back all of our debt. So, you know, that's, that's, that was my first and my ultimate goal. We will have a revolver in place of $100 million. And we're going to thirdly also put uh, some additional capital onto the balance sheet. So, you know, we'll have horsepower of, you know, $80 million on the balance sheet, $100 million revolver. And, you know, if you look at our earnings into the future, we, we are unlevered. So, you know, our peers currently have, you know, anywhere between four and six times. So we have a lot of capacity to look at opportunities in the future. We recently purchased Flywheel uh, for $25 million, which was an incredible buy. So, you know, the, the, the secondary is one investor selling out. I'm not selling any, any stock in this IPO. Uh, and I, I think that really speaks you know, spoke to the and really resonated with a lot of our investors because I said, look, I'm here for the long term. I'm not selling any stock. Uh, we're excited about our future, but more importantly, that the, the pipeline of potential franchises buying has never been healthier. Um, so it's an exciting period for us. 
All right, Adam, thank you so much for joining us. We know you're having an incredibly busy day today uh, as your company goes public on the New York Stock Exchange. Adam Gilchrist, co-founder and CEO of F45 Trading. Again, that stock is uh, bidding, uh, bid ask is 17 and a half, 18 and a half after pricing uh, their shares at $16 a share. But uh, it's interesting to see how that industry, um, Taylor, is going to recover. You know, how will consumer behavior change in terms of going back to the gym. And the innovation that's been going on in that industry. And, you know, Paul, he was talking about those statistics around heart disease. I mean, that's another pandemic, yep. frankly, that we've been ignoring. I think sitting around in this pandemic has made us realize we all need to get back to the gym. Exactly right. <laughs> so hopefully, uh, again, we saw a contraction. Hopefully that industry can continue uh, to recover. We'll have more coming up. This is Bloomberg. All right, that was Charles Evans, the president and CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago, speaking with Bloomberg's own Michael McKee. And we also had Fed Chairman Jay Powell. He was uh, uh, in front of Congress uh, today making his comments as well. Let's get kind of an overview, a little bit of a recap of what we heard from these Fed officials. We do that with Carl Riccadonna. He's our top uh, economist for Bloomberg Intelligence. So, Carl, kind of piecing together what we heard from Mr. Evans of Chicago and Fed Chairman Powell it doesn't seem like this Fed's incented to do anything other than kind of stay the course here. They feel like they're, they have the hand on the tiller. Yeah, that's a, a very key theme to focus in on here, the kind of central committee of the <laughs> Open Markets Committee. So the, the centrists or the, you know, the, the key leadership uh, really is not responding to the inflation data uh, the way that the kind of overall messaging from the Fed is uh, sounding like the Fed has taken a more hawkish shift. So the, the hawks on the committee have become more vocal, more concerned about what's happening, whether it's commodity prices, gasoline, or or consumer inflation. Uh, but the, the, the Jay Powell's, uh, the Richard Clarida's, uh, the uh, Chicago Fed President, uh, Charles Evans, who's a voter this year. Okay. Uh, they are confident, uh, and Evan specifically said he's confident that the inflation flare-up will be transitory. Uh, Powell has echoed that theme. So they're acknowledging uh, maybe that uh, price pressures have risen more than they anticipated, and it looks like it'll be a slightly longer duration than they anticipated, but they still are very much of the view that things will moderate in the back half of the year as we start to see some moderation in overall economic growth. We were chuckling a little bit yesterday if members of the House, members of the Senate are asking about inflation. You know, it's something that their constituents are going to them and saying, hey, we're feeling this. There are real world inflation pressures and then there's the economic models. How does Powell square the two? Well, I think the you know the models uh, anticipated that we would see uh, an opening here, but they underanticipated the magnitude of uh, the price pressure. So you know, very difficult to model what reopening a twenty-one trillion dollar economy looks like, uh, microchip uh, shortages, mm -hmm. and, and those sort of factors. So you know, we kind of understand as we look at economic growth relative to potential growth, you know, how that inflation plays out. Um, but what's interesting here, if we think of you know what the models would forecast, inflation's a lagging indicator. So if we're seeing great growth now, uh, that's going to cause inflation further on down the road. And typically the lag is about six quarters, so a mm. year and a half. 
right? The inflation we're seeing now is not the result of an economy operating beyond its potential. It's just this kind of supply, the, the growing pains of, of reopening, turning the key and restarting the economy. Uh, so it's a very different type of inflation. And that's why the Fed is responding it in such a different capacity. Uh, another way of thinking of this, uh, if we take you know consumer inflation, so yes, prices are rising, uh, but we have to divide between goods and services. Mm -hmm. Services are things the Fed can very much control because service price pressure reflects what's happening in the domestic economy. A lot of good sector inflation uh, merely reflects what's happening with exchange rates or inflation coming from overseas. So the price of goods coming from China, getting unloaded at the port of uh, Long Beach on the uh, West Coast, uh, that's not an inflation the Fed can really control, nor do they want to control that inflation. Uh, if we look at what's happening right now, CPI goods is off the chart, uh, flaring up. CPI services very much running in line with the average of the, the five years uh, prior to the pandemic. Well, we just heard a real inflationary data point today. Greg Jarrett, Bloomberg Radio in San Francisco, paying 30% more for his taco and his My taco cauliflower truck. cauliflower rice is an extra dollar. <laughs> yep, so Paul, it is real. Nice. I'm not sure the Okay, taco. but I'm going to call you out here because this is food away from home. Restaurant meals, yep. which are part of this labor shortage that we're seeing in leisure and hospitality sector, restaurant and whatnot. Uh, if we look at food at home, so grocery store prices, I continually hear everyone saying, yep. oh, prices are going up, prices are going up. They're going up, but they are going up at a very, very slow pace. So if we look at grocery food, uh, we can see that there's actually a deceleration taking place. So we keep talking about categories that are you know, part of the reopening. Uh, well, there are some categories that are actually decelerating as we reopen and grocery prices for the most part are, are, are in that uh, category. So they were high during the pandemic yep. when everyone was scrambling for grocery deliveries and whatnot. Uh, they are very significantly decelerating. And yesterday, as I was looking through the CPI basket, uh, looking at those food categories, most of them are running below 1% even. So my kale is cheaper, Paul. Oh, well, good for you. <laughs> I don't even know what kale is, come on. So Taylor, <laughs> stop complaining about those restaurant prices and go home and cook your food. When we do see tapering, what's it gonna look like? I think it's gonna look very uh, boring okay. uh, to mm -hmm. financial markets. Uh, the Fed is being very clear that this will be signaled well in advance. And so they'll have time to refine that message if the market does kind of react to uh, the news. Uh, but what we're hearing from folks like Evans and also from Jay Powell, uh, this is not something that we're going to be hearing about at the July FOMC meeting, right? They're going to discuss this for several meetings. So the July meeting into September, we might hear about it at Jackson Hole. We might hear about it at the September FOMC. Uh, I suspect that uh, the the delivery of that message is going to come later than a lot of market participants are thinking uh, at the moment. Uh, I think still the best case scenario is probably deliver the message in the fall, uh, start the program uh, at the start of next year, so in early 2022, uh, and you taper basically over the course of next year. So by the end of 2022, uh, the Fed will no longer be purchasing securities to expand their balance sheet. They'll just be replacing right. things that are maturing. Just quickly, 20 seconds, you go equal taper, MBS and treasuries. That's a very uh, interesting question. Uh, Jay Powell was pushed seconds. on that a little bit uh, today, and he said that probably mortgage purchases are having more of an impact on the housing market than treasury purchases, although both are impacting. So I think that there is an incentive to move more aggressively on mortgages. All right, Carl Riccadonna, uh, senior uh, economist for Bloomberg Intelligence, joining us here, helping us break it down here. We had Fed Chairman Powell uh, and Mr. Evans from Chicago uh, Fed.
looking at these markets here, we're just started, you know, week one of what is going to be a very active earnings season. And again, a lot of investors are looking for uh, numbers to come in really strong to kind of support the multiples uh, we're seeing in this marketplace. Let's bring in a professional that does it for a living, Hugh Johnson, chairman, CIO, and member of the Investment Strategy Committee of Hugh Johnson Advisors. About $1.5 billion in assets under management based in Albany, New York. Hugh, thanks for joining us once again here. All right, we're, what are you really looking for in this earnings season? Do you need to see some really big beats to justify these valuations? Uh, not real big beats, but certainly beats. We've gotten very used to the fact that when we've been looking at earnings, and I'm not talking about just this earnings season, but we've had a continuous uh, uh, outpouring of earnings for the last three months. And in each case, the earnings have been coming in a little bit better than, not significantly so, but a little bit better than expected. And every time we see that, um, it gives a little bit of a boost to the market. So the market has been really driven by good earnings reports for the last three months. And I think really we're looking for the same thing in this earnings season, a little bit of a, let's just say, a, a beat on the upside. Now, now remember, keep in mind, that more recently, about 90%, a little bit less, 88% of the companies that have been reporting have been reporting earnings that have beaten estimates, and that compares with the number that's the long-term number of 60%. So uh, companies are getting used to reporting earnings a little above expectations, and that's kept the, uh, kept the bull market alive, even though we're a little bit concerned about valuation. Before we get to valuations, I want to ask if we're in on earnings peak margins as we're thinking about some of these inflationary costs that CEOs are mentioning, and they are mentioning them a lot. They certainly are. And if you take a look at the beige book yesterday and the reports from all the districts of the Federal Reserve, um, that's the one thing that jumps out at you is that companies are telling us that there's a little bit of margin pressure, and there's a little bit of margin pressure largely because of the upward pressure that they're starting to see. It's not significant, but they're seeing upward pressure on wages, number one. They've had to compete very, very actively in the markets to try to get people to come to work for them. They've given a lot of non-cash benefits for those to those people to get them to come to work for them. And then, of course, there's the supply problems, which we hear about every day, the supply problems, of course, meaning that, of course, they're not getting the supplies. The backlogs are very significant, uh, and, and that's creating some a little bit of upward pressure on the prices that purchasing managers have to pay. So you bet, margins are under pressure, and uh, if we believe, Chairman Powell, that a lot of these pressures, the labor pressures as well as the supply pressures, are going to abate as we move through the remainder of 2021. All right, Hugh, given that you're in the camp with Fed Chairman Powell, where are you guys allocating capital these days, um, given where we are? Well, I tell you, you know, it's a great, great question because we're still bullish on a long-term basis. We really do believe in our sort of a mantra, which is time, not timing, is the secret to success in the financial markets. But on a short-term basis, we think things are a little bit high. You know, we've had really great markets in 2020 and, of course, the first part of 2021. And I think the market's a little bit ahead of itself, particularly now. Remember, we're We've really seen the peak in GDP and earnings growth in the second quarter, and those numbers are going to still be positive, but they're going to come down. We're not going to see those kinds of growth rates. So we really think we're a little bit ahead of ourselves, and they're due for, I don't want to say a major correction, but a little bit of a pullback, and we're waiting for a pullback to prices that make a little bit more sense. Uh, when we do see that pullback, we're not going to be the reflation team. We're going to be looking very hard at consumer uh, discretionary stocks, very hard at communication services, some of those companies, you know, the Facebooks of this world, 
Uh, we're looking very hard at those, and those are where we're going to start to add to our portfolio. Google is another one. Apple is another one. Uh, we'd be adding to those, but not at these levels. We want to see a little bit of a pullback to levels that make a little bit more sense and are a little more compelling. Are you going to be adding to those based on a call that yields may not rise? Yeah, we would be probably adding to them. And I would say on a longer-term basis, keep in mind something very important, and that is when you're looking at Apple, Facebook, you're looking at these companies, some of them communication services, some of them technology, we've often referred to them as being volatile and economically sensitive, that they depend very heavily on the economy doing well. That's no longer the case. These companies have been doing well, giving us the kind of revenue growth, the kind of cash flow on their balance sheets, the kind of free cash flow in their earnings reports, that it's been very steady, even though the economic conditions, as you know, have been very volatile and difficult. And, and that's the kind of company that's almost, I hate to say it, it's not an offensive or bull market sectors. These are starting to act like defensive sectors are good places to be if the economy goes into a period, which I think it's going to, and that is where we see the growth rates of the economy, of earnings, employment, you name it, are going to slow down. They're going to be positive, but they're going to slow down. And those are the kinds of companies I think you want to own. All right, Hugh, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate that. Hugh Johnson, chairman, CIO, and member of the Investment Strategy Committee of Hugh Johnson uh, Advisors based in Albany, New York. It's going to be interesting, Taylor, to see how, you know, to the extent we do get a pullback in this market, which some people are calling for, including Hugh Johnson, you know, where will people put their money? Will it be still in that rotation trade into the cyclical names, into the reopening names, into the reflation trades, or will it be into the tried-and-true Apples and Amazons and Facebooks of the world. You know, John Authors of our Bloomberg yep. Opinion out with a great note this morning saying that yields aren't behaving the way we might think. If you think inflation is going to be higher, maybe you get some of that cyclical trade. Yields should be rising, but they're not. So are we pricing in a Fed policy mistake? Really, really good column here uh, debating the future of yields. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, it's it's tough to see where a pullback comes. Uh, we've had so much uncertainty at the market continues to pull higher. Would there be a mistake perhaps from the Federal Reserve? Would that be the catalyst? We'll have to see. More coming up. This is Bloomberg. Let's bring in David Dietz here. He's Managing Principal Senior Portfolio Manager at PPAC Private Wealth Management, $9.4 billion under management located in Bucolic Summit, New Jersey. Uh, hey, David, let's start with the bond market. Boy, 10-year, 1.34%. The 30-year still below 2% at 1.96%. What's the Treasury market telling us about growth? Do we need to be concerned about growth on the backside of this pandemic? Well, I think you put your finger on it. This is the most perplexing problem because we've got all sorts of metrics suggesting there's inflation. All the economists are telling us that we're coming out of the pandemic-induced slumber and growth is ahead of us. We're seeing great corporate earnings, but that bond market, the yields just keep falling. And typically, yields fall when fixed-income investors see uh, the lack of inflation, lack of growth. And so, which uh, is right here, uh, I still think that all signs point for an expanding economy. And here's the thing. If you go a year ago, uh, Matt, you know, your, your interest rates on the 10-year Treasury are about a half of 1%. At the start of the year, we were under 1%. Now, it is true, we ratcheted quickly all the way up to about 1.77 in March. Now we're just over 1.3. But still, I think the trend is up. Remember, 
2019, we saw the 10 years high as 2.9. All signs are saying that ultimately we're going to normalize, uh, maybe not in the next three months, but over the next 12 months. So I got to see interest rates ultimately moving up. And I think actually the stock investors will appreciate that. Are you positioning a portfolio for higher inflation? Because I hate to say it, every single question that Powell is getting, it's on inflation. Um, so, you know, no one knows for sure whether it's transitory or more permanent. I mean, in some things, everything in life is transitory, ultimately. But I think it's, it's a risky game that they're playing here because if it turns out that it's not transitory, the problem with monetary policy is it acts with a lag. And so they'll be very much behind the eight ball. And, of course, the real wild card is how do consumers act here? If consumers start to think inflation's around the corner and they rush out to buy stuff and hoard, it will become self-fulfilling. So we are certainly tilting towards areas of the market that I think can benefit uh, from inflation. I think if there's inflation, ultimately higher interest rates, that's manna from heaven for the financials. And of course, you've got your cyclicals, your industrials, your materials, your energy plays, all should do a better with prices going up. All right. Higher interest rates in your scenario. Good for financials, as you just mentioned. I know in the past we've talked about Wells Fargo. That's a name you've liked. And uh, they reported some numbers this week. Stocks done really well this year, up nearly 50 percent. What is your call in the financials and, and Wells? Well, so the financials, I, I do think that they are trading at about a 20% discount in terms of price to earnings, price to book than they normally do. And of course, the overall stock market is elevated. So I think that financials could provide an opportunity. But I do think it all comes down to the economy and interest rates. If the economy picks up, then the loan demand will kick in. That's the kind of a thorn in the side right now. Not a lot of loan demand. Of course, they'll be able to charge higher rates if interest rates go up. So then, uh, like generally with overweight financials, drilling down, why Wells Fargo? You know, Wells Fargo has one of the best franchises here in the country. Coast to coast gives them tremendous economies to scale. I actually like the fact that they're not focused on uh, a lot of trading activity that some of the New York banks focus on, because that tends to be cyclical. They're kind of middle market, um, consumer lending and so forth. And historically, they've been good judges of credit quality, have been conservative. Uh, they've, have, of course, uh, still associated with a lot of bad activities a couple years ago. Uh, a new guy in there from Bank of New York, I think, is riding that ship. And of course, as you pointed out, just had a great earnings announcement. They, got, they went through the stress test with flying colors. They doubled the dividend. They announced a stock buyback of $18 billion. That's about 10% of the value of the overall company. So another 10% of the shares go away. That's good for stock investors. Finally here, when we talk about some of the loan demand with the banks, you have to talk about housing prices and some of the housing stocks that have started to roll over. I'm just taking a look at the ITB, for example, the ETF of housing stocks as lumber has also started to roll over. What do you make of the housing sector? Well, you know, I think it's a little bit like with the, the, the interest rates on the 10-year treasury. I think there was too much acceleration too quickly. We're seeing a pullback. Markets do not go in a straight line. I got to believe that uh, two or three years from now, uh, lumber prices will be higher. Of course, that's a tricky indicator because of uh, relationships between Canada and the United States. Um, uh, you, you are absolutely right. The, the housing stocks, the, the, the Pultes and Lenars have kind of come back down here. But remember, they practically doubled from a year ago. So they were due for a pause here. 
there. Um, right. uh, in, in, with, with better employment situation, I think people, the demand for housing will continue to stay strong. All right, David, thanks as always uh, for checking in with, with us. We always appreciate getting your thoughts and opinions. David Dietz, he's a managing principal, senior PM for PPAC, private wealth management, getting his thoughts on this market. Still likes the cyclical trade, still likes that reflation trade, that reopening uh, trade. And uh, again, with rates where they are, uh, lots of uh, questions there, but we'll have more coming up. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.